Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. You're listening to a teaching message by Vintage Church in Harker Heights, Texas. Whenever and wherever you are listening to this, our hope is that you are encouraged and challenged by this message and that you are inspired to take your next step with Jesus. For more information, please visit us at vintage.church or follow us on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Everybody and welcome to Vintage Church. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is Dylan and I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And um, it's just an honor and a privilege to get to be teaching uh, all of us together as a family, as a spiritual family, in the last week of the series that we've been in called Joshua, where we've been looking at how Joshua literally went from common sand to the promised land. And now we've been saying that we can do the exact same thing, right? Because God is the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, And he can use the same process to grow us here and now as he grew Joshua then and there. So what I hope is that today what we have to talk about is gonna really help grow you closer to God and grow you closer to other people. But specifically, today's just about finishing well. We learned a lot about where Joshua's been and all that he had to go through. And in this week, we're actually going to see like Joshua all grown up, right? Like Joshua 2.0, the sequel, where he's kind of at the end of his life now. Uh, And for many of us, uh, maybe who are watching this online right now in your house, maybe who are in this room, either you're at the end of your life and you're hoping and wanting to finish well too, or you're not at the end of your life yet, and you have a long, long way to go, but you're not sure really how to get there, and you hope, too, that you will finish well one day in your walk with Jesus. So what we've been saying is that the most famous passage, probably in Joshua, that you've heard is Joshua 1.6, where God says for the very first time to him, be strong and what? Say it with me courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give to them for such a time as this. God has probably, you've probably felt that God has said similar things in a similar way to you. Maybe not about a promised land, but some figurative promised land in your life, a place where you feel burdened to go one day, or a thing that you feel God has called you to do, or a spot in your life where you feel like and hope that maybe, fingers crossed, you'll be at one day. And so we've been, the big idea of the series is that to get there, to get to the promised land, God grows us not two, not three, not four, but one step at a time. And how we wish that discipleship was like an elevator, where you hit the button, and you go all the way to the top really quickly, or at least an escalator, am I right, y'all, where you get to just stand and do nothing, and it feels so much better, but it's annoying because people in front of you don't want to walk very fast, so God says, actually, the way that I want to grow you is I'm going to be more like a staircase, and I'm going to grow you and disciple you one step at a time, literally, and so it's true for Joshua, and it's true for us. And we've been talking in the last two weeks about how uh, Joshua still sought out God and his will uh, first in his life, no matter what and how we need to do the same thing too. And today we're going to see how well Joshua finished and how, like I said, we can just do the exact same thing. So, okay, let's read this verse together. Joshua chapter 13, verse 1 says this. When Joshua was an old man, everybody say old. If you're sitting on your couch, say Oh, you know it's real when the Bible, written by the inspired God of the universe, written by man but penned by God's Spirit himself, 
calls you old. When God, who is eternal, calls you old, you know it's real. So, God, so, so it says, when Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, you are growing old, man, and much land requ- still remains to be conquered. So just a little recap, Joshua was in God's family and he's been serving, he started serving, and as he served God, God opened up more opportunities for him to do more. And then he became an apprentice to Moses, the same way that we become now, an apprentice to Jesus. And then eventually he took Moses' place in leading God's family. He began to lead after apprenticing to Moses, just like Jesus allows us to begin leading other people after we learn to apprentice to him well and learn to do the things that Jesus did. So he's doing all that and he's faithful, but God's work still wasn't done. Joshua, just like you and me, was a part of something way bigger than himself that would last for years and years and years to come. So Joshua is coming up to the end of his life on earth. We've seen consistently with Joshua, as well as Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, that he had to learn over and over and over and over over again, that he found himself in situations all the time where he would go, what was I thinking? I don't understand why I do the things that I know aren't good for me. Paul would later say in the New Testament, I don't understand why I seek out and sometimes do things that I don't even really want to do. You've had that feeling too. You don't understand why you sometimes do things that you don't want to do that make it hard to really finish well. We talk more about that today because God is not done. He wasn't done with Joshua just because he was in his old age. He wasn't done with Joshua just because he messed up a lot. And God is not done with you, whatever your age and however much you have messed up. You can still be a part of something bigger that God is doing in the world. So Joshua is coming up to the end of his time on earth here now, and he's waiting on God's timing, and it takes humility, and it takes obedience, right? But he finishes well because he learns how to practice this really, really well. When I was a kid, I was rather large. I was pretty big. I was a, I was a my mom, my mom said that I was big boned, And I didn't know exactly what that meant, except that I had to go shop in a section called Husky at a really special store where none of the other kids were allowed to go to because it was my special store that only I got to go to in the Husky section. So because I was big, all the coaches my whole life, from elementary school to middle school to high school, would always ask me over and over, hey, boy, you're kind of big. You big bone, ain't you, boy? You want to play some football? That's how all football coaches sound when you grow up in the deep south like I did everybody. So they'd always ask me, you want to play some football, boy? You got you big bone. And I would always say, well, I don't know how. I would love to. I don't know why I sounded like Mickey Mouse when I was a little kid, but I did. <laughs> I always say, well, I don't know how to play football. Can you teach me? I don't know how to throw the football. I don't know how to spiral the football. And the coaches would always say, uh, would say, well, yeah, son, I'll teach you. Come on out to practice. And I'd, and I'd go and I'd learn a little bit, and they'd show me how to throw the ball the right way and put my, my fingers on the, on the, look, I'm embarrassed. I don't even know what it's called, the white thing on the ball where the stitches are. Put my hand and my fingers there on the ball and throw it, and I would mess up about five um, to 75 times in a row and couldn't throw it quite right. Um, and eventually I would leave, and I'd come back again, 
and I'd try again. And it still didn't work, and I'd leave and try again. Um, and then I would leave and not come back <laughs> and not try again like at all. And here's the deal. To this day, I still don't know how to spiral a football. All my cousins on Thanksgiving used to get together and go play football in the backyard and I would kind of pretend to throw it or I would get close enough to a person that hopefully no one would notice that the ball wasn't spinning. And if it was spinning, it was spinning the other way, like a football you flick when you're in middle school and you're a kid and you make it out of paper, right? And it's going the wrong way, not the way that I wanted it to go. I still can't spiral a football. Matter of fact, if you come here to church next week, bring you a football, I will let you teach me how to spiral a football now just because I put it into this message. That's how bad I want you to be a part of spiritual family and the church. But here's what I learned. Finishing things is actually really difficult. Starting things is not. Starting something and trying to learn how to do a thing is easy. Finishing is a whole nother thing. This, this is, have you ever heard the saying, hell is paved, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? What does that mean? There are a lot of things that we never, uh, that we start, but we never, ever, ever finish. And for you guys in this room, for you listening online right now, maybe uh, on your laptop, on your phone with your family, um, maybe you, you had to stay home today because you're sick and you're just watching at home, whatever your story is, whoever you are listening, I want you to know that that doesn't have to be your story when it comes to Jesus. You don't just have to start well. You can finish well too. You don't have to be like I was with the football. So Luke chapter 14, 28 says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to even finish it? So how do you finish well? First, finishing well takes two things, obedience and humility. This was even true for Jesus, for God incarnate in the flesh. The same exact thing was true for him. Check out what the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5.8. Here's what it says. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Even God, the Son, had obedience. So Jesus, while here on earth, was a human be as a human being, was in the same process. He went through the same things that you and I go through. It's one of the reasons that he came. He was never humbled because of his own failure, but he was obedient in difficulties and trials and things that he came his way. And so we see, one, we got to just choose to obey. He did, and I'm not saying you're perfect and you're going to be able to do it every time like he did, but it is a choice that you get to make. It's not one you have to make. God gives you free will. You don't have to obey him clearly. Have you seen the world lately? But when you do, things turn out better. If God the Father allowed his own son, who is fully God and fully human, to go through this process, we will too. Stop thinking you get a free pass. You don't. We don't get to just say, I love God. I love, I'm spiritual. I'm real, really spiritual. I love God. I sure am spiritual, but never have obedience. 
to the God that we claim we profess belief in. It doesn't work that way. That's not how this thing does. So how do we do it? How do we obey even when it's hard, even when everything around us, even in our culture, makes us feel like we don't want to, don't have to, or shouldn't? How do we trust and obey that God's way is higher and better than our way, no matter who says what to us otherwise? Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus himself had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him then to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. After we choose to obey, we have to choose to have an attitude of humility too. It begins with obedience, but humility is a choice as well, and it's one that doesn't normally come naturally to us at all. You got to get this. We have to, um, by the way, no shame or condemnation, not just you, me too. We have to get this thing right. If Jesus went through this development process by God, so will we. Missing this is the difference between finishing well or not finishing well. So what will cause us to not finish well? When we start believing our own hype, right? Start thinking we're kind of all that, right? I'm good. I'm big boned. I can play sports. <laughs> believing our own hype, right? Or, the hype, or, or others, how they hype us up. You crash and burn, you're not going to finish well. Believing you're an exception to God's commands, that just because God loves you, that means that you therefore now no longer have to be obedient to your Father in heaven. You'll crash and burn. You won't finish well. You know, King David was called a man after God's own heart. Have you ever heard that? If you grew up in church, did you hear that? Just mm-hmm. He was a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't called a man after God's own heart because he committed adultery and cheated on his wife. How many men do you know that cheat on their wives that are called man, men after God's own heart today? He wasn't called a man after God's own heart because he ordered one of his men to be killed. And he wasn't called a man after God's heart because he had all kinds of family issues. But he still was called that despite those things. So why? How? That's not how the world works today. Even in church, you don't know anyone in church who openly and publicly was caught cheating on their spouse who later was called a man or woman after God's own heart. So what's the deal with him, right? It was because he constantly humbled himself and accepted God's discipline and God's correction in his life. Because God understands the truth that you and I pretend like it isn't real all the time. He knows just like you and I do, deeply somewhere in our soul, that we're actually all pretty bad. That we actually all have this deep inclination and burning desire 
in our fallen nature to sin against the God of the universe and do the wrong thing, not the right thing, and that we all have more in common sometimes in our badness than we ever, ever, ever thought. And we put on masks to try and look and seem like a good person, like we're just a good church-going Christian and we wear the right clothes and we say the right words and we try really hard to never cuss or at least never cuss in front of people or at least never cuss in front of people while you're at church. And we think doing that somehow makes us a better human being than some of the other people that we know who they have their struggles but not me and mine until one day you wake up and you do and you did and you find yourself in a deeply entrenched in a sin that you never ever thought you'd have to deal with or be stuck inside of this message is for you people may not seem like they accept you after what you did the world may seem like it wants to cancel you and you may feel like you're at a dead end road and you have no path ahead and nowhere to go and no way to get there or move forward in life, no way to have a second chance, but not with God. With God, he says, you are loved. He says, I sent my son on the cross to die for you because I love you and believe in you and believe that life for you can be different than you ever imagined humanly possible, that you can find genuine and real freedom from your sin in a way that you never thought could have happened before. And God goes, hey, you may think that you have no way out of this thing and it may seem like the whole world is against you and everyone thinks you're a, a terrible person, but I'm saying you can be my child and I love you and I'm here for you. And I can make everything different if you just humble yourself. And let me correct you a little bit. Let me set you on the right path. You don't have to stay on the right path forever. If you could, I wouldn't have had to send my son in the first place. Just allow me to pick you up and put you back on the right road so we can get you back on track, back to practicing the way of Jesus that leads to life instead of your way that leads to imminent death. Okay, so even an apostle named Paul who God used to write more than two-thirds of the New Testament, said this. Check this out. One of the biggest leaders in the church there ever was. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I'm going to press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed uh, for me, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. I have not, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Remember, we've said this in the past, my past will re remind me, but not define me. He said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He says, we can't just choose to obey and have the right attitude. We gotta choose to have an eternal perspective, to see things eternally the way that God does, not just in the moment with despair and hopelessness like everyone around us maybe tells us to see things. Back to the book of Joshua. Not long after God tells him that there's more work to be done, even though he says, you're an old man, but there's still some work to be done, buddy. His old buddy, Joshua's, named Caleb, shows up. And Caleb in the past has been promised a very specific part of this land that they're starting to cut up now and divvy out to people, right? So he comes to remind the leadership of his inheritance. And here's what he says, Joshua 14, 10 through 12. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, 
Today, I am 85 years old, but I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight just as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said to do. So Caleb seen God provide over this long period of his life, and he's ready to claim his inheritance and take on giants, right? He's got humility. He said, God's the one who gives me strength. I'm an old, he's got the shirt on that says, old guys rule, right? On the back, it says, maybe young guys drool, but he's got the shirt on that says, old guys rule. And he goes, but even though I'm old, I'm trusting God and what he could do for me. God develops us while using us to accomplish his work on earth, um, And the chapter ends with the land had rest from war. And the next several chapters detail how the promised land is to be divided between the 12 tribes of God's family. And now we come to Joshua's last days here on earth before he goes to be with the Lord when he finishes well. He reminds them, all the people of Israel, he says, gather around, gather around. He reminds them why they're supposed to guard the culture that God has created among their people. He encourages them to always keep God's word at the forefront of their lives. And he warns them what was going to happen if they turn away from God again, the way that they always seem to keep messing up and doing. And so we see Joshua living out what God's developed in him over the years. And he's wrapping up his leadership. And he tells everybody, hey, I want you all to know this. Lean in and listen to what I'm about to say. He goes, listen, listen, listen. He goes, you have to choose to remember You have to choose to remember who God is and what God has done for us. Remember what God has done in all of Israel and in our lives. And then he gets this often quoted declaration. You might have heard it in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. He goes, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served before the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord instead. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, this is the one you have in your kitchen, right? As for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. And you have it in your kitchen because, yes, even though it's an Old Testament verse that's not technically about you and it's something that he was saying to his people then, the Israelites, thousands of years ago, you still feel the same way. Whatever happens in my life, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua 24, verse 19, the people say, we've got it. But Joshua reminds them that, hey, he goes, hey, your strength and willpower, those aren't the things that are going to keep you on track. You have to choose to seek God's will and obey him first. Did you know that you weren't saved by your own willpower? (laughs) You were saved by the blood of Jesus. And you won't stay on track with God by the power of your will. Your will is what got you in trouble in the first place. It's the reason he had to come to die for our sins in the first place. You'll stay on track. By seeking God and putting him first over what our will wants, over what our feelings make us want to do. Remember last week I said, uh, what you feel may not always be real, but God's word is eternal. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. 
And it has the ability to change us and form us and mold us and transform us into the people that he wants us to be. So Joshua 24, 31 says, the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who even outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. That's God's legacy through Joshua. It lives on generationally. And if that hadn't happened, we might not be here today listening to this message. All because somebody chose to seek God's will and do what God called him to do. And you can do the exact same thing. So today, I I just have to ask, we wrap up the series, I'm not going to try and give you a super tweetable moment. I'm not going to try and give you a phrase even that you can go home and remember and tweet and say, oh, Pastor Dylan, he said something that was so memorable. I got to tell everybody about this. It was fire. I'm not even going to do that. I just want to be real with you. Are you following Jesus? Are you a part of God's family? Not like, did you make a decision when you were eight years old? Not like, <laughs> do you just come to church sometimes? But are you following Jesus? Are you fully devoted to the God of the universe and flesh and blood? Do you want to devote your whole life to Jesus? Are you serving God's family? Are you serving or are you, are, are, are you just consuming or are you actually contributing to this thing that God asks us to contribute to? I'm not trying to call you out. It's just true. You don't grow. That's your step. Have you taken that step yet? Are you contributing to God's family yet? Are you moving to your next step? Are you being obedient? Are you being humble to God? Philippians 1.6 says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Listen to me. You might not be where you want to be, but you are so far from where you used to be. And I promise you, you can wind up infinitely further than you ever thought you'd be If you will obey God and humble yourself before him, you can finish well. And the God who loves you will move you from common sand to whatever it is that is your promised land that he has in store for your life. Let's pray together. God, we just love you so much, Lord. Uh, We just pray that you would help us to move from common sand to the promised land, not so that we can feel better about ourselves, not so that we can be glorified, not so that we can have a nicer house or boat or car or whatever material possessions, God, but so that we can seek refuge in you, the creator, over our comforts. Uh, We pray that our promised land would be a place of abundance in you, but a place where we uh, follow you and seek you and your will with every fiber of our being and all of our heart, God. Help us to finish our race strong by learning and remembering to obey you and humble ourselves before you and be willing to take correction and discipline from you and older, wiser people in our life, a council of folks in our life who can lead us back to you when we've gone astray, God. I pray for every person in this room or who may be watching this message online via their phone or their, or their TV uh, or whatever, God, that you would uh, help stir their hearts to give them the courage and the boldness like you did Joshua, like you did David, like you did so many before, God, um, to just run back to you with open arms. And it is in Jesus' mighty, mighty name that we pray each and every single one of these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. You can stay connected with us at vintage.church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. 
Here at Vintage, we believe that church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you are in the Harker Heights, Fort Hood area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service times, and plan your visit by checking out our website at vintage.church. We hope to see you soon.